0: Hi, this is Gary Meese, back again after a long hiatus with The Case Against. I'm going to read a chapter today on one of the minor characters in the uh, West Memphis Three Saga, Garrett Schwarting. It's from my book, Blood on Black. I have two other books as well. Where the Monsters Go, and The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. They're available on Amazon in Kindle format and also in print. The title chapter is, I've Heard from a Lot of People That He Has Been Possessed. Stories originating from Baldwin buddy Garrett Schwarting had almost as much credibility as The Hobbs Family Secret or the later imaginings of Aaron Hutchison. During his many interviews with investigators, the 15-year-old Schwarting was a font of information, some of it clearly misinformation, some possibly disinformation, often not only at great odds with statements from others, but with himself. While attempting to help Eccles and Baldwin, Schwarting tended to confirm suspicions about them. didn't help Muskelly either for instance he said that his sister's best friend Tiffany Allen had been going out with Jesse Muskelly quote and she would come to school telling me stories like he beat her and all kind of stuff like that she had black eyes busted lip briefly the, the crimes we're talking about occurred on May 5th 1993 when J- Jason Baldwin, Damien Eccles, and Jesse Moskelly Jr. brutally beat, tortured, cut up, and drowned Michael Moore, Christopher Byers, and Stevie Branch. Brian Ridge, acting on a tip that Schwarting knew Eccles and Baldwin and might have information on the murders, talked to Schwarting on May 19th, 1993. Schwarting told Ridge that he had not seen Baldwin in over three weeks. On May 25th, Schwarting told juvenile officer Steve Jones that Eccles was not involved in the murders. Then on June 7th, the Monday after the arrest, the three were arrested on June 3rd, 1993, after Jesse Moskelly Jr. confessed to police his involvement in the killings, along with that of uh, Baldwin and e- Eccles. Uh, at Schwarting, at, on June 7th, Schwarting ran into J- Steve Jones at Barfield's, a local store. Schwarting's was looking for a copy of the West of the commercial appeal newspaper so he could read about the arrest he explained that Baldwin could not have been a part of the murders. Schwarting claimed that he had gone to the Baldwin residence on May 5th on three occasions first at 7 p.m. then at 730 and finally a third time and of course here he directly contradicts the idea that this thing he told police earlier that he hadn't seen Baldwin in three weeks. Which would have put him, which would have been well before the May fifth. He told him on May nineteenth he hadn't seen Baldwin in three weeks, and that would have put, uh, that would have been well before the May fifth killings. Schwarting had wanted to borrow, and this his new story. Schwarting had said he'd wanted to borrow a a long white Ozzy Osbourne t-shirt that the Baldwin's could not find at first. So, Schwarting returned twice more, bringing along his friend, 13-year-old Kevin Lawrence, the final time. Schwarting claimed he'd stayed and played Nintendo at Baldwin's home until 9 or 9.30 when he went to spend the night at Kevin's. At first, Schwarting's alibi for Baldwin seemed to have backing, sort of, from Kevin Lawrence. Even so, Lawrence's version raised a question about Baldwin's school attendance that day. Um, And it's been pretty well confirmed that Jason Baldwin did indeed go to school that day, and uh, that provided no evidence of any sort of alibi for Baldwin. Uh, Jones completed his information from Schwarting in a handwritten report, dated June 7th and filed on June 10th. On June 11th, just before Ridge held an extensive interview with Schwarting, Lawrence told police that his mother had checked him out of school on May 5th at 12.45 p.m. and that Schwarting dropped by his home. Kevin Lawrence said that around 2 p.m. they went to Jason's home to retrieve a shirt he he had loaned to Jason, which was over four hours earlier than Schwarting had described. After Baldwin's mother opened the door, Jason told them that, quote, he couldn't find the shirt or that he had to go get it from his friend, according to Lawrence's statement, handwritten by Ridge at the boys' request. The boys returned to Kevin's house. About 20 minutes later, Schwarting went back over to Jason's, returned about 15 minutes later without the shirt, and left again for Jason's about 30 minutes later. That trip took about 30 minutes. Schwarting returned again without a shirt. Schwarting stayed at Lawrence's until about 7 or 8, playing Nintendo before going home, said Kevin Lawrence. No one else had claimed that Jason and his mother were both home. His mother, uh, Angela Gail Grinnell, were both home at around 2 p.m. that afternoon. Jason's attendance at school was documented. Schwarting claimed that he was hanging around the Baldwin home around 9.30, while Lawrence claimed Schwarting had been at his home at his home that evening. The timeline from Lawrence provided no alibi for Baldwin. Ridge then questioned Schwarting, who claimed he had gotten out of school at the usual time on May 5th, which is around 3.15 or so, and that Kevin showed up around 5 or 5.30, and they'd gone to Kevin's home in Lakeshore Estates Trailer Park, which is where Jason Baldwin lived, as well as Dominique Tier. Damian Eccles's girlfriend. Arriving about 6 or 6:30, Schwarting said he called his mother to get permission to spend the night with Lawrence. He claimed he'd gone to Baldwin's home three times at roughly 30-minute intervals, starting around 6:45. And the, this is important because Michael, Stevie, and Christopher were last seen going into the woods where they were eventually found dead. They were found dead on May 6th in a muddy ditch around 6.30. And most of the evidence suggests that they died some time between 6.30 and 8 o'clock, which is very close to the time of sunset and also close to the time of the rising moon in West Memphis, Arkansas on that date. Anyway, he, he, they, they'd, gone, they'd gone over to the house uh, starting around 6.45 p.m., uh, last time staying and playing the Super Nintendo with, with Matt Baldwin, little Terry Grinnell, which were, these, those were uh, Jason Baldwin's younger brothers, and Ken Watkins, who was a friend uh, of uh, Jason and Damien, while Jason looked for the shirt. He said Ken left around 7.30 to 8.30. They began playing Street Fighter around 8. Schwarting also told Ridge that after Jason cut his uncle Hubert uh, Grinnell's lawn in West Memphis, uh, Jason had gone to the Walmart and played Street Fighter while a youth named Don Nam watched. Nam eventually gave a statement saying he had seen Baldwin at Walmart around 6 p.m. on May 5th. He also said he'd seen Eccles and Dominique Tier at that time. Uh, But Nam retracted the statement the next day. Uh, Jason Baldwin has claimed over the years that an Asian kid, an unnamed Asian kid, saw him at the Walmart and... uh, That constitutes part of his alibi for not being at the crime scene of course if he was at the Walmart at 6 p.m. he still had time to go to the crime commit the crime which occurred you know 30 to 45 minutes later maybe an hour later but probably more like the attacks probably started According to the confessions the attacks would have started around 6 30 he had time they had time to leave the wall if indeed they were at the Walmart that evening at 6 p.m. they had time to walk the mile or so to Robin Hood Hills there's no indication that Dominique Tear was at the crime scene or was directly involved in the crimes and she has been consistent in stating What her own activities were that evening, which that she would have gotten home roughly this time. Her timeline has not always been consistent, but she's consistently said she went home that evening. And there's no, as I say, there's no indication she was involved directly in the crimes. Schwarting, who didn't see Baldwin cutting grass and he didn't see him at the Walmart, said Baldwin left Walmart about 7 p.m. that for home. Schwarting claimed that he'd run into Nam at the Walmart later. Lam, Nam supposedly told him about seeing Baldwin. Schwarting said he had learned details about Jason's lawn mowing earlier on June 11th from the newspaper. So Ridge asked him, How did you know that's the night that occurred? Schwarting replied, It said in the paper that they came up missing May 5th. This is a bit of a circular argument here for Schwarting. Ridge then asked him about what else he did that afternoon. Schwarting first replied that he shot pool at the Lakeshore store, which is a little retail store that was at the trailer park. Uh, Ridge pointed out that just prior to the interview that Schwarting told him they went on a picnic. He claimed, quote, we went to a little picnic at Hernando Lake, somewhere in Tennessee, I think. that's very questionable I'm not sure where Hernando Lake is and I've searched for it extensively maybe there's a small pond someplace over in Tennessee or Mississippi on the other side of the bridge uh, named Hernando Lake but I have not found that to be the case if he actually went all the way down to Hernando, Mississippi, that's it's quite a drive, and he would have been hard pressed. And he doesn't explain how he would have gotten there, but he would have been hard pressed to have gone, have left there, gone to school, uh, meet up with Kevin, gone to, gone to Hernando Lake, been back to do any of the other things he's described doing. It's, probably 40 minutes or so at least to get to Hernando and another 40 minutes back. And we're talking about drive time traffic. So it's probably longer than that with a good chance of uh, traffic jams and that sort of thing. And that's assuming they spent any time at the lake at all. And supposedly the picnic, I, I can't imagine them driving all that distance to go for a 15 minute picnic. Even that would have been very, 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 very problematic as far as uh, his description of his activities that day and of course he contradicts it ridge correctly picks up that he's contradicted himself already about what he did that afternoon pressed about the date, schwarting was sure of may 5th ridge told him what i'm at is that two weeks after the murders occurred you don't remember going to jason's house Now, here it's a month and a half later, and you remember that is the exact date and the exact times and everything exact about it. Schwarting said, Sir, I've talked to Matthew Baldwin a couple of times since then, and I know he said I was over there that one night, then it started to come to me slower and slower. Now, Matt Baldwin is the only one who's actually gone on the record, saying his older brother Jason was at home that evening. I don't think Matt's ever uh, retracted that statement. He certainly wasn't put on the stand during the trial to offer his younger, his older brother, this alibi. Uh, Jason uses Matt's statement as apparently uses Matt's statement as one of his sources for his continued alibi that. alleged alibi that he played a video game at Walmart and then went home. Uh, Dink Dent, his mother's boyfriend who was living there at the time and was basically supervising the boys, uh, couldn't describe seeing, did not describe Baldwin getting home before. He gave various time frames, but it was no earlier than 8.30, more like 9, and based on what he said, probably closer to 9.30 when Jason's mother would have called from her job job at a trucking firm and talked to the boys during her break. Ridge pointed out that Schwarting's story and Kevin's story are nowhere near alike. Ridge added, you made a statement a little while ago that Jason didn't do this and that you're going to do anything you can to get him out of it. Schwarting also gave a handwritten statement. The night of the murders I stayed with Kevin. I went to Jason's home three times that night. Once at 7, he said he hasn't had time to find my shirt. Again at 730, he said come back in 30 minutes. The third time I brought my friend Kevin. We stayed at Jason's house until 9 p.m., then left. When we was at Jason's the last time, we played Street Fighter 2 on Super Nintendo. At about 8.30, Ken's mom came to pick him up, Ken being Ken Watkins. Uh, Schwarting agreed to take a polygraph test. On June 15th, Schwarting changed his story. On Wednesday, May 5th, I was at home because my mom won't let me stay anywhere unless it's at Kevin's house. I didn't stay at Kevin's that night, but the next night I did, I stayed home to watch TV, played Nintendo, and went to sleep at about 10 p.m. I didn't see Jason Baldwin at all that day, or I didn't talk to him. Police noted that Schwarting's version of going to Baldwin's home on May 5th actually occurred May 6th. So much for that alibi attempt. Schwarting had a wealth of other unreliable information to share. Schwarting passed along stories that Eccles allegedly told him and Murray Ferris, who was the leader of a local Wiccan, Wicca cult, coven, coven. <laughs> uh, while they were cleaning the pool at Ferris' home in mid-May, Schwarting said he didn't know Ferris well, it's, it's not clear why he was over there helping him clean the pool, but he, this is what he says. Uh, "Apparent Eccles apparently was just hanging out with them." Uh, quote, we were trying to trick him, said Schwarting uh, on June 11th to police. Not really tricking, but trying to get him to confess. Just say he did it because me and Murray both were tired of being questioned and we wanted to find out who had done it. Uh, End quote. Eccles didn't confess to them, but he did boast about how he had poured gasoline on a cat, stuck a bottle rocket up its rear, and lit the fuse. Eccles also told them he once choked a small boy with a noose until he turned blue and passed out. And Eccles apparently had a habit of making these kind of boasts to people, which is part of the reason he had such a bad reputation. Earlier on May 25th, Schwarting told Jones that Baldwin and Miss Kelly were involved in a satanic cult, along with Jerry Nerns, who's another teenager in the area, but that Eccles was not involved in any type of cult or satanic worship. <laughs> this is almost exactly backwards from what most people would infer Uh, since Baldwin and Miskelly's interest in the satanic cult seemed to be, at least on the face of it, seemed to be driven mostly by Eccles. Schwarting claimed Baldwin had once invited him to a meeting of Satan worshippers in a building behind Lakeshore. Schwarting refused Baldwin's invitation, but Schwarting told acquaintances that he himself was studying witchcraft. Later, on June 7th, Schwarning told Jones that uh, Eccles had a demon placed inside him by a man called Lucifer, Lucifer, which may just have been a misspelling by the transcriptionist. Uh, There are several other mentions with similar misspellings by several other people who mention this Lucifer character, uh, which is an older man varying physical descriptions, supposedly lived in Lakeshore, and was supposedly some sort of mentor to Eccles in his uh, occult activities, but police were never able to determine who this man actually was. Uh, Shorting also told Jones that Eccles had lived with Lucifer prior to moving with his parents when his parents returned from Oregon. Schwarting said the demon possessing Eccles must kill nine people before it becomes a god, with Baldwin being the first person to be killed. Uh, Obviously Eccles did a pretty poor job of fulfilling the demon's commands. Schwarting told police that Lucifer was involved in the murders, though he doesn't say how. Now, he said, Echo's former girlfriend, Deanna Holcomb, was dating Lucifer, further claiming that she was, quote, very much involved in satanic worship. He claimed that, quote, Damien broke up with Deanna and then she met Lucifer and started learning black magic. Now, at this time, uh, Deanna Holcomb had renounced her involvement in black magic, which she freely confessed to police. And also, and she had also said that Eccles himself practiced black magic, and that if he said anything else, he was just misleading people. Schwarting said that Eccles was bisexual, and that he and Baldwin often argued when Eccles spent time with Dominey. Um, Eccles also described himself as an XXX boyfriend of Eccles' girlfriend. I'm not sure which girlfriend we're talking about, Dominique Tear or Deanna Holcomb. The record is not clear on that. I'll say again that Deanna had, at this time had totally renounced any involvement in black magic and was attending church actually the evening uh, that the boys were killed and, um, Dominie has said that she didn't particularly care for Baldwin and the impression one gets from all this is that Eccles was very very involved with Baldwin on a personal level whether it extended to the sexual level or not you could sort of there's always there's this kind of question that's out there Schwarting's not the only one who's thrown out that question Uh, thrown this out as part of what was going on there. But uh, it's pretty clear that there was no love lost between Jason Baldwin and Dominique Tear. She was very jealous of Eccles spending so much time with Baldwin, being just so invested in that relationship rather than their own. And it's pretty clear, even from Damien's own writings, that Dominique was a girlfriend of convenience uh, she was pregnant with his child, so he was feeling somewhat stuck with her. Uh, and he was his plan now was to to cash in on having this child by getting his social security and other benefits uh, in, in, uh, increased by actually letting the child live while he and Deanna Holcomb he had apparently proposed to Deanna Holcomb that she sacrifice their firstborn child, if they should ever have one, she never became pregnant by him, as far as we know, uh, as part of a ritual. And she Deanna cites this as the reason she broke up with Eccles. What's the the source of that story about the ritual uh, sacrifice of the child? It's not clear. I'm not claiming that it's clear. Deanna's statement doesn't make it clear. Among the weird details in Schwarting's story, Lucifer at one time had a purple streak in his blonde hair. Doesn't seem like he would be that hard to find, but there you go. Anyway, later, Schwarting claimed that Miss Kelly was afraid of Lucifer, which made Miskelly turned himself in. That's not what happened. Uh, Miskelly failed a polygraph test and promptly broke down and began confessing. Very soon into the interviews, it was not, he wasn't grilled for hours and hours, and, and police, frankly, didn't have to do a whole lot of coercion to get him to talk. Uh Schwarting also claimed that Kelly had implicated Eccles and Baldwin because he knew they were suspects. Schwarting said he did not believe that Eccles had committed the murders and named two other possible suspects, Jerry Allen Nurns and Frankie Knight, both of whom had been interrogated by police, uh, with not much result indicating their involvement. Then Schwarting talk further about Nerns who had lived at Little's Trailer Park at the same time as Schwarting. Little's Trailer Park being another smaller trailer park in a kind of a complex of trailer parks uh, on either side of the I-55 interstate between West Memphis and Marion, Arkansas. Schwarting said Nerns belonged to a cult where they were sacrificing cats and that and Baldwin were members. And there were sac- what appeared to be sacrificial sites where rituals had been held, where, where uh, carcasses of animals were found uh, for up to a year before these murders in Crittenden County. Schwarting said Nerns nailed a cat to a tree with a railroad spike and would stuff cats into jars, throw them into the air, and hit them with a board. On June 11th, he gave a statement to Ridge that included another mention of Lucifer, spelled differently this time, though he had no details about the alleged magical mastermind and had never seen Lucifer. helpfully adding that quote, Damien, I've heard from a lot of people that he has been possessed. Schwarting denied his earlier assertion that Baldwin was in the cult. Jason Frazier was a 16-year-old acquaintance of Schwarting's who told police on June 11th that he had talked with Schwarting about two weeks after the murders. A mutual acquaintance, Laura Maxwell, who had dated (coughs) Eccles, said that Schwarting had told Fraser that Eccles and Baldwin held their devil-worshipping meetings, quote, in that park, which was Robin Hood Hills, the wooded area where the boys were killed, and which was sometimes referred to as a park by the local kids. Schwarting supposedly had heard from Baldwin that Damien had killed the boys because they saw something they weren't supposed to see. Frazier told Allen and Ridge about Schwarting. He said, I know who did it and all of that. He told me Jason Baldwin and Damien Eccles. He said that he was studying to be a psychic and him and this guy was studying it, and that Damien and uh, Jason did it, but Jesse's names were was involved, so they were practicing their witchcraft. And he didn't say how the boys got there or anything. He just said they did it, and that's where they practiced their witch, their Satan stuff. Jason Frazier, later in that interview, gave a confused account of how Schwarting told him that Baldwin had nothing to do with the killings. Frazier said Schwarting told him it was just Damien, unquote, but, quote, he said that Damien didn't do it, (laughs) which doesn't make any sense at all, does it? But that's what Frazier told the police. Fraser said his cousin, Jeff Hood, 15, had overheard the earlier conversation with Schwarting. Hood gave a handwritten statement on June 15th. It had to have been a Saturday. It was after the murders. Me and my cousin, Jason Fraser was in front of the old Belvedere apartments. It was in the morning time, about 11 or 12, and Garrett Schwarting was on a bike and he pulled up on his bike and asked for cigarettes and started talking about white witchcraft and said that Jason Baldwin and Damien Eccles did the murders. He studied witchcraft and said it came to him when he told me I didn't believe him. If there was truth in Schwarting's stories, it was difficult to, to discern. And that's the end of that chapter. Uh, assuming I don't have any of the technical glitches that have plagued me over the last two months uh, this will be episode 24 I believe I'm going to increase the frequency with which I'm posting these podcasts because frankly I want to just push on push on get through them Uh, there's a limit to how much I'm going to be talking about. I mean, I've got a long way to go, but there is a limit and there is an end to this. I'm I'm interested in pursuing other somewhat related things involving other cases. There's also uh, a television series that's supposedly coming up, starring Bob Rupp, and I just soon have all the information out there now. Uh, before that starts so that I can focus on responding to that series when it finally appears, if it ever does. I expect it to be a clown fest, based on not just Ruff's prior work in this, but what TV will do, the limitations of the television format, and the limitations he's gonna have on time I can't imagine what he's gonna come up with. Uh, He had 60-something hours of uh, podcasting time and essentially came up with nothing substantively new, a whole lot of speculation, and a whole lot of guesswork, and a whole lot of just plain old misinformation. So uh, I'd I'd like to uh, be able be freed up from having to worry about continuing with laying out the case as I know it. And frankly, on some, someday I sort of hope to put a cap on all this and move on and get involved in some other things rather than a 26 year old case. Uh, that cont- it, that does continue to be mis, um, represented in the media. There is that. It's ongoing. It's it's somewhat continuous. But now that Eccles has fallen back into producing occult books, uh, the novelty is going to wear off with the second book, I'm sure. And uh, he's going to find it probably hard. He's going to be around. He's going to keep doing his magic thing he's going to get some notice but it's not people like the uh, outlets like the New York Times and The Guardian are going to be much less interested in his story it's simply gotten old uh, without any new developments other than Eccles producing a new book I will say Yes, it's an old story. It's also an, a, a story that, as far as I'm concerned, has rarely been told with any kind of truth and honesty the, with the, in a book. It certainly hasn't been in a documentary. Uh, William Ramsey has done great work in this area, and I've done what I can do to get the truth out. Uh, Roberta Glass has also done work in this area, and uh, I think her, her podcast is very much worth listening to, not just for this case, but in general, as is William Ramsey's. Anyway, uh, that's it for now. I hope this worked, and I uh, hope I get back on a regular schedule. My, that's my intention. And that, this is it. Until next time, I'm Gary Meese signing off.